We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today racked up 39 interceptions and 19 fumble recoveries in his 11-year career with the Rams. He was voted to four Pro Bowls and was named Football Digest Defensive Back of the Year four times in a row. And he was 1980s Defensive Player of the Year. Before coming to the NFL, he was an all-Big 8 safety and an honorable mention All-American quarterback at Kansas, and he was also an All-American in track and even qualified for the Olympic trials. And in case that wasn't enough, during his 20-plus years as an assistant coach, he oversaw one of the most remarkable seasons any assistant has ever had. We'll get into all of that, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Nolan Cromwell. Nolan, welcome. Thank you, Rich. Well, Nolan, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show. Um, as the intro suggests, there's there's a lot to cover, and I didn't even get into <laughs> about your 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 growing up in Kansas. Some of these things are just insane when you read about it. Um, so let's just jump in. You're you're born and raised okay. in Kansas. you're born in Smith Center. You you go to yeah. Logan High School as a freshman and win a state championship in basketball, and then you move to Ransom. Tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of growing up in Kansas and, and what that was like. Well, you know what, for me, it was, I didn't know anything else. My, you know, my, all my family is from Kansas and, and still lives there now. But, uh, but uh, we grew up in small towns. My, my father was a uh, manager of a co-op grain elevator and uh, we ended up, uh, you know, moving around in, uh, in the western part of the state, and and uh, uh, just basically uh, wide open spaces, not not uh, not much uh, when in today's world going on out there. And but uh, we were happy, and and uh, and sports was a, a huge part of what our family, uh, uh, the kids, and everything did. Uh, I I've, I've got eight brothers and sisters, and. Uh, uh, we, uh, we were very competitive. 
And and so you're when when you're at Logan High and you win the state basketball championship as a freshman, you're you're a contributor on that team. Kind of the sixth man off of the bench, uh, and uh, in uh, in the state championship, uh, one of the guys got in in uh, foul trouble, and uh, and I I was put in, uh, which was uh, kind of exciting. I played about probably about uh, a half of the game, and. Uh, uh, so it was, it was it was exciting for me anyhow and and uh, but uh, we had a good team and a uh, a good coach. Yeah, and then and then you move to Ransom, Kansas. You go to Ransom High School. You end up being over your well three years there, all state in basketball, all state in football, and like I mentioned, you win three state track championships, um, and you're you're also the national champion in the decathlon. Uh, tell me a little bit about your years in Ransom. Well, those were really unbelievable years for, for me. We, I moved there. Uh, it wasn't after my freshman year. It was after my sophomore year. Uh, my dad took a job uh, down there, and and uh, we moved. Uh, uh, they, they had – we were actually in the same league with Logan, where I, mm. I moved from. And uh, so – uh, I was familiar with Ransom and, and uh, the type of uh, athletes they had. And, and I tell you what, they had great athletes. And, and uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was fun to go down there. And uh, it, I pretty much fit right in uh, every, everything. Uh, uh, we, had a, we had a great young coach, uh, Doug Spillman, who, who was uh, – uh, so creative and let us play uh, and have fun. And uh, gosh, it, it was a great two years for me uh, in actually football, basketball, and, and track. So right. it was fun time. And, and I'm always curious about these things. So, you know, here you are, you're obviously, you know, one of the great all around athletes in, in state history and you, you choose to go to Kansas I'm curious two things. One, were you know, did you consider other schools? Was it going to be Kansas all the way, or were you looking at a bunch of other schools? And also, were you you know kind of tuned into like the the history of can you know Gail Sayers and and John Riggins and Bobby Douglas guys like that? Rich, I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this. Uh, to be very honest, I didn't know the difference between KU and K-State uh, until, until probably my junior or senior year in high school. Uh, I, I knew that the schools were there. I didn't, I didn't even know where they were at, Manhattan or Lawrence. I didn't know which one was where. But uh, they really, the, my focus in high school was I was going to beat my brothers. My, I got two older brothers. I was going to beat their records. And so that's the only focus I had in that. But, uh, but I, I was recruited. Uh, actually, my popularity in, and uh, came my sophomore year when uh, uh, in track, I started receiving a bunch of, uh, of letters because of a, a relay team and things we put together. And sometimes I was running in track and, uh, and, that's when I got on the radar from some of these schools. And then uh, uh, 
football come through and and uh we we had a great uh two years in ransom uh playing football we lost one game uh in the two years and uh so you know there was some of that notoriety there that helped uh but uh my big thing came in track uh hmm. that was the earliest i started receiving letters and stuff and and um it uh, it became pretty exciting, and and I kind of started figuring out which schools were where. Yeah, and you know I I have to ask. So you're in high school. You're the national champion in the decathlon. Oh, by the way, as you're yeah. coming out of college in '77, obviously the '76 Olympics is before your senior year. Bruce Jenner wins it all. Were you? Did you ever compete against him, like in your high school years or even your collegiate years? <laughs> I did. I actually competed my freshman year at uh, at KU. I competed against Bruce Jenner and uh, uh, in the KU uh, uh, the Kansas relays uh, mm. had the decathlon at that point. And uh, really, I in high school, I I didn't even really realize what the decathlon was until my uh, track coach, uh, my sophomore year. Uh, called me up uh, after, uh, after track season and uh, said, hey, there's a, there's a meet, a de- thing called the decathlon. You compete in 10 events. He, and uh, he says, I think you ought to go to it. And I said, okay, I'll go. I'll go. So we went down, and it's really the first time I competed in it and really the first time I did uh, uh, the 10 event uh schedule you know some of the events i never have had done you know right. i i ran the hurdles in college or in high school uh i i ran the distances and things of that nature but throwing the javelin uh throwing uh, the shot put throwing the discus uh the, a lot of the field events i i had never done pole vaulting i <laughs> i i really hadn't done that so it was it was an interesting deal, but uh, uh, I, I had a great time and and I did very well. Yeah, yeah. Had, when you faced Jenner, how'd you do? Uh, actually, I I was not <laughs> I wasn't competitive, but uh, but you know I I uh, in the scoring I I, I want to say I had like sixty two or sixty three hundred points. Uh, okay. I was my freshman. I didn't ever, I never worked on any of the events. I just did and I went and did it uh, right. uh, uh, at, at the relays. Uh, so it was, um, that was my second decathlon and my last decathlon, so to speak. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. That's amazing. Even to be in the conversation is amazing. But, and so, so, so you're at Kansas, you're playing for a coach named Don Fambro. He's got you in at safety. Yeah. And you guys have a yeah. lot. There's, I looked at that roster. There's a lot of guys who went pro off that roster. Don Good, Kurt Knopf, Steve Towell. Um, and yeah. your off, your offense had a quarterback who actually finished fourth in the Heisman running, uh, uh, David James. David James, yes. We had Go a good team. Uh, yeah. In a, a talented team. Uh, a running back by the name of Delvin Williams that went to the 49ers. Uh, and uh, was out there for a number of years. Uh, guys, uh, the people, like you said, that that uh, played off of that team uh, in the NFL, guys, we were, it was good. Yeah, 
And you guys are seven and four. Oh, by the way, you lose to Tennessee by one. You lose to Nebraska by one. I mean, you're you're right there. Um, right. And the next year, the team there's a drop off, and uh, you're you're still playing safety. You're all conference safety. Fambro is let go. Bud Moore comes in, and and this is interesting to me because one of my recent interviews was with John Hanna, and he was okay. talking about how in his early years at Alabama, like just before he got there in his freshman, sophomore year, there were subpar years for Alabama. And Bear Bryant, who was always willing to try something new, sees the wishbone working to such great effect out at Oklahoma, Nebraska, brings in some of their coaches and has it taught to them and just figures I've got these big mobile linemen, I'm going to do this. Well, the next decade turns out to be one of the great decades, you know, for any team ever, you know, the seventies for Alabama and you guys get Bud Moore, who's one of his coaches. So all yeah. of a sudden, you've got the wishbone, and you become a quarterback. You get moved over from defense. How did that work? Did did Moore come in and say, "Okay, you're my quarterback now"? What, what was what was that like? Well, I ended I ended up uh, I I had an agreement with Kansas when I signed, uh, you know, to go there that uh, I would run run track in the spring. And uh, so I was at uh, actually at track practice, and I finished track practice, and I and I I would run over to uh, to uh, the uh, football field where they were having spring ball, and I you know whatever time I finished uh, my, my track workout, I'd run over, boom, go out and uh, compete uh, uh, through the remaining drills and stuff. And uh, actually, the first uh, after after the first week, I think in spring ball or or whatever, uh, uh, I came I came running out on the field, and my the position coach uh, my position coach told me to go see Coach Moore. He said uh, uh, so. I went over and talked with him, and he said, "Hey, I'd like to try you at at quarterback." Uh, he says, I know you can play safety. You're, you're an all conference safety. He said, uh, but, uh, he says, I, I would love to try a quarterback. If it doesn't work out, he said, uh, we'll move you back to safety and you, you'll go. And mm. uh, I said, sure. It didn't matter to me. I just wanted to play. Right. So that's, that's how it happened. And, and I just, uh, when I ran out on the field, I went talk to coach Moore. He sent me to the quarterback coach. And I went over and uh, uh, did some drills with them. And uh, from that point, I think uh, it was that that was where it was from. Yeah. I mean, you, in, in your junior year, so now you're the quarterback running the bone. And a couple of things stand out. One, you rush for like 1,200 yards. You, you throw for about 300. You, you rush for 1,200 yards, which I think were – just in big eight and NCAA records. I mean, they're off the charts in, in two games right. you rush for almost 500 yards combined against Oregon state and Wisconsin. And right. you guys beat number one, Oklahoma. They had not lost a game. It, they had, they had a 37 game unbeaten streak. You guys go into Norman and beat them 23 to three. I mean, you put it on them. Tell me a little bit about that season and, and, you know, kind of the successes that came your way with, you know, along with being, you know, honorable mention, all American. Well, the, uh, the season, you know, we, we had talented people and mm -hmm. the thing that the wishbone offers is, is you, you might not have to block 
some of the best players that that uh, your opponent has because I the quarterback would end up reading them, and if he you know dove to take the running back, you pulled it and went to the next read and and did that. So so uh, uh, we had some good quick uh, offensive linemen that uh, that you know fit the offense very very well. And then mm-hmm. our backfield was was outstanding with uh, Laverne Smith and Billy Canfield and and Dennis Norris. Uh, gosh, uh, it brings back uh, good memories. But uh, but it, it was uh, uh, the first game I didn't I played uh, maybe a quarter, maybe not even that much in the first game uh, that that we had. And then uh, we went down and played Kentucky in the second game. And uh, uh, we ended up, uh, I believe we ended up winning that, but I played the second half in that game and, uh, and did pretty good I, I, uh, as far as, uh, I don't know what my stats were or what, how, but I think we, we ended up winning that game. And then uh, the, the third game was the game that uh, we played uh, Washington State and uh, that's when I had a, a kind of a breakout game. Uh, uh, the uh, the interesting fact there that uh, Ken Blue, who was the defensive coordinator at Kansas two years be uh, or the year prior to that, was at Washington State. So he knew the talent in our backfield and everything, and he had people on our halfbacks and. Uh, and really nobody at the quarterback position uh, was, was there for it. And mm. so when you read down the line of scrimmage and, and there was nobody for the quarterback uh, to, to make the play. So I ended up uh, uh, running a lot of times pretty free <laughs> at that time. So, cool. But it was, it was uh, an exciting season uh, going back uh, – uh, and then going to Oklahoma and beating them, uh, uh, we, you know, it's just one of those those games that uh, uh, I think maybe they didn't take us for granted and and uh, thought they were going to roll over us pretty quick. And and the next thing you know, we we were, I think we were up seven to six at. Uh, at halftime, and then we came out and uh, went down and scored the opening, I believe, the opening drive in the second half. And then uh, they tried to start throwing the ball a little bit. I, uh, we had their, I, I believe it was in the second half, they had four inter, pass interceptions and four fumbles that we oh, got wow. them all. We had eight. We got eight turnovers in that game defensively, so it really gave us uh, offensively uh, great opportunities, and and uh, we played the we played the ball very very well because yeah. of uh, Ed Moore's uh, uh, knowledge of it and how it worked. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that team was loaded. They were defending national champs. They would be national champs that year. You're basically the only Plumish in two years. And, you know, it's Joe Washington, it's the Selman brothers. I mean, that's a loaded team. That's a big win. And Well, you know what, that's exactly the thing I was talking about is that the the wishbone offense 
we didn't block Leroy Selman hmm. from the, 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 the best player on their team. You know, I, we ended up having the ability to read him and uh, the fullback dive through, you put it in, and if he steps down to take the, the fullback, then you pull it and go to the next read outside. If he comes up the field, you just give it to the fullback. And, and it, uh, it was, you know, on all of our plays, it was uh, a read that there was like three different reads you could make on one play. So it had a lot, a lot of options in there. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So you're kind of keying off of him. And as a result, you get to avoid him. Exactly. And you didn't have to block him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the big, the big thing is, uh, you know, because he was, uh, gosh, I don't know if he was the number one or number two player taken in the draft, but, uh, but he was, he was an outstanding, well, the whole family was an outstanding players at Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then your senior year, you guys start off five and one. You're in the top 10. You're like eighth in the country. I mean, this is, this is a big deal for KU. And then you blow out your yeah. knee, but you, you get injured. And that pretty much ends your, yeah. your Kansas career. It was, uh, I guess they got revenge. It was in the Oklahoma game that uh, at Kansas when I, when I uh, uh, got the knee injury and, and uh, you know, kind of, Finished my season, but uh, it was uh, we were we were having a good year again. We had a lot of the players that were back from the uh, from our uh, our junior year, and uh, we were on a pretty good roll. Yeah, and so then so then it's time to go pro. You get drafted by the Rams, and I, I love taking a look at like draft classes. Your draft classes like for for the Rams is a great one because. It's Bob Brzezinski at linebacker. Obviously, he would play for the Dolphins, too. It's you. It's Billy yeah. Watt It's at receiver. Um, it's Vince Ferragamo, who would be kind of a constant for a good number of your years with the team. Um, right. And you're coming into a team that is good, right? You guys are you're you know going to the playoffs. They're winning the NFC West. It's Chuck Knox. Um, what was it like coming into that team? Was there like a message from Knox? I know you didn't start till your third year. Was he kind of telling you this is how we're going to bring you along? That's exactly what he did. That uh, we went in and and uh, in an in an interview that I had with him prior. Uh, well, after you know after the draft when we went out for a mini camp, they you know they basically said, hey, you're going to play special teams your your uh, first year. You'll be the nickel back, uh, the fifth defensive back your second year, and you'll start your third year. Okay. And that's what they did with that's what they did with every player that was drafted. They had a purpose. They had a they had a plan. And for me, uh, coming into such a complicated system that uh, Ray Malavasi, the defensive staff, had in uh, with Chuck, uh, it was it was a godsend and, and uh, because I was just learn, you know, I had to learn all the, uh, the terminology. I had to learn all the, how to read, how to study, how to, how to do things. And I had two great safeties, uh, Billy Simpson and Dave Elmendorf, who were the two safeties at the time. And they helped me along uh, and showed me and told me and taught me kind of how to play the game. So when, I was put in the in in you know it was 
I, I knew what to do. I knew where I fit in the defense. And it was, uh, I had a defensive back coach by the name of Jim Wagstaff that told me, he says, do your job. That's all we are asking of you. Don't try to be making plays on areas that you uh, don't, uh, don't belong. Just make your plays. He says, we'll fit. Everything fits together. And it's so right. But uh, the biggest thing is I got a chance to learn the defense. I got a chance to, uh, in practice, practice against some of the, the best players around and end up uh, learning the speed of the game and how to play it. And uh, uh, that, that, was, that was a godsend for me because uh, when I did get the opportunity to start I understood the game and I understood how, how to play within the system. Yeah. And, and the, the, those Rams teams were so fascinating because on the one hand, you guys were just consistent winners, always winning the NFC West, obviously very, right. a string of frustrating postseasons against the Vikings and the Cowboys. Um, but, but kind of position by position, I mean, your defensive line with Youngblood and Dreyer and Larry Brooks and, you know, you mentioned the safeties and the corners, you know, Rod Perry and, and Pat Thomas and Monty Jackson, um, you know, Hacksaw Reynolds and Isaiah Robertson at linebacker. I mean, that that's a loaded defense. And your offensive oh, line is you know, Jackie Slater and, and uh, you know, Saul <laughs> and Mack. And so it, it was an unbelievable team. And that's why, you know, when I was drafted by the Rams and they told me they laid out the plan for me. They, they had the skill and the, the, the ability to do it that way because yeah. they weren't counting on they did They weren't playing it by, uh, hey, we're going to draft this guy to fill this position. Hey, they, they're drafting a guy that they feel they can, they can uh, teach and mature to where when we put him in there, he's going to be a mainstay for, for the team. So yeah. it, it – it uh, there there was a purpose for that draft in the future, not right now, and uh, it was really interesting that uh, that he did that. And the and the uh, you know they had the when I went there in '77, they had they had had the best defense. Actually, they were ranked either number one or number two in defensive category uh, in the NFL five years running. Mm. So, you know, when I defensively, you know, you weren't going to break in, uh, you know, come in in the first year, but uh, they ended up uh, having, having uh, that success. And then, and with a great defense, uh, I believe they were very, and I, I know we were very conservative on offense mm. by, that was Chuck's, uh, Chuck Knox, him telling the offensive team, so to speak, hey, don't lose the game. We'll win it. We're going to win this game. It might be, hey, seven to three. It might be seven zip, or it might be ten to ten to three, or whatever. But we'll win the win the game. Just don't screw it up offensively. And but I've heard a number of uh, times that uh, the some of uh, James Harris as the quarterback back in those those days was was there 
he he could see when the teams were going to blitz and going to deal uh, and uh, do different things. But Chuck had, uh, Chuck had put the restriction on the offense that hey don't don't screw it up don't don't audible don't do anything just play the game and uh, so that that was a little bit of the restriction put on the offense and then when we got into the playoffs when you played Minnesota Vikings and you played the Dallas Cowboys which were the the two teams that uh, seemed to always beat the Rams we couldn't score enough points we didn't have the ability you know to you know, it would be a 14 to 17 game. They they win it on a field goal block or a punt block or some some type of thing. Come up, uh, that's that's kind of the re- the thing that uh, was happening in those five years of Chuck's uh, uh, reign there. Yeah, yeah, Th- that's that's something that really stood out to me because knowing the history of the team, you know, you had you, you know going back a few years before you got there, you had Roman Gabriel. And then he kind of goes away and it's, it's, you know, it's James Harris and Ron Jaworski and John Hadel. It's, you know, then it's, then it's Pat Hayden. Then obviously in your draft comes Vince Ferragamo. There's this kind of always this rotation and even your freshman year, I'm sorry, your freshman year, even your rookie year, Joe Namath is brought in. And that is a cycle of like high profile guys at the end of their career, which the Rams would do for like the next decade. Um, And we'll get into all that, but what's it like you're a rookie coming in, you're coming straight out of Kansas and here's, you know, Broadway Joe, obviously at the end of his career, but what what was that like seeing Namath in the locker room? Well, my claim to fame is I got to, I got to sit after because I came out of college with it, with my knee injury and, and, uh, and I ended up, uh, you know, practicing and it wasn't a, a problem but uh I, it was mandatory icing after practice every time and i'd go i'd go in there and sit down on on the uh uh the bench and uh ice my knee but right next to me on the on the next bench was joe namath and that's my claim to fame i got i got to play with him his last year but uh uh what a great person you know we we actually had, had conversations and, and uh, it, it was fun. He, he made everybody feel at home and, and uh, uh, Broadway Joe, so to speak, uh, guys, he, he was as down to earth country guy as, as all of us were. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, just the knees just weren't there anymore. Right. Exactly. He, he, it, it was hard for him. You know, when you watch him, it's hard for him to walk at that right. point and and uh you know but uh guys he uh playing practicing against him and everything i mean he would look one way and on his start to throw and he would throw it clear to the other side of the field i mean he he could he was very good at looking people off and and uh and trying to open the, the seam or the hole up but uh it was you know, he just didn't quite uh, have the zip on the ball that uh, it took. Yeah. And and one of the receivers on that team, again, mentioning that I spoke to John Hanna, at one point I said, you know, you guys had at one point uh, Harold Jackson and Stanley Morgan. And he was like, oh, my God, they raced each other in pads one day and ran like four or fives. And uh, he said, we looked at each other and said, wow, we have speed now. What what was it like as a young guy coming in trying to learn the defense, and you're covering guys like like Harold Jackson? 
I tell you, you know what? It it was it was eye opening for me, but it was. I remember in uh, working out in uh, uh, prior to camps and stuff like that when I was out there. Uh, Harold Jackson, uh, I would try to cover him one on one on the outside and and learn how to how to play and everything and and backpedal and doing the things and and uh but he would he would tell me he would he would talk to me about how he ran how he ran routes you know how he attacked the defender uh to try to move him off of off of a landmark you know he uh the guys really worked together and taught each other and 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 they sat down and with me and uh and actually, you know, told told me and and talked to me about uh, what they 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 saw, how I was playing and how I should play. Mm. So it was uh, it was a great communication from player to player, uh, coach to players. Uh, gosh, it was uh, it was a great thing for me uh, moving in there. Yeah. And then, but because you lose in the playoffs again to Minnesota, I guess ownership just gets tired of of Chuck Knox not being able to break through. He's let go. And then this is fascinating to me. George Allen, who had had success in Los Angeles and then had had success in Washington, is brought back to be the coach in 78. But things change, and he didn't. He was still very strict. He was a disciplinarian on and off the field. Players kind of rebelled. I'm curious a little bit about that the ownership fires him two weeks before the season begins and they look around the room. And as you mentioned, Ray Malavasi was the defensive coordinator. They elevate him. He's the only holdover from Knox's staff. That's gotta be just a bizarre situation. You're going into the season new, you know, the the coaching thing happens. Oh, by the way, all of the assistants are Allen's guys, brand new. And all of a sudden the guy who brought them in is gone. And now they're reporting to the defensive coordinator from the last guy. What's that like in the locker room? Uh, well, I tell you what, it, it, it was it was good. Okay. From the standpoint, of George came in, he tried to change. Now you got to look at the team; they've had the best defense for the last six years in the National Football League. Right. And now you're coming in to a veteran team that is and you're trying to change everything all concepts everything of how to play defense and there was there was a big uh, rebellion from the standpoint of the veteran defensive players especially and offensive players but uh uh it you know he come in he brought because he was a defensive coach he brought he wanted to bring his defense and apply his defense and a lot of the stuff for uh, our veteran players on the team it it just was different or it it uh, it wasn't what we considered sound defense. There was a lot of guessing, a lot of uh, different things to in our minds of what was going on. So they ended up uh, uh, firing George and uh, and Ray Malavasi come in, and he was actually Ray Malavasi was the offensive coordinator. At oh, that he was time. offensive. Okay, he was, my bad. He, he went from offense 
uh, from defensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. And George, uh, that's where he was. So, so he ended up uh, bringing in, and he ended up giving Bud Carson, who was uh, the defensive back coach at the time from Pittsburgh, he he gave him his playbook that he had had. He said, just just open it up. Everybody knows what what's going on, and go from there. And he made the defense coaches learn his defense rather than uh, uh, changing it for the players. So the defense, we we were right on track. Uh, you know, everybody knew what to do. And uh, but but Bud brought in a little bit more of a pressure uh, type of defense and. Uh, a little more active in that sense, but with the same terminology that uh, that everybody understood, and and it worked very well. Okay, that's interesting because I, I mean, you literally, I look back over the last fifty years, I can't remember a coach being let go in, in like that circumstance. And then, oh, by the way, for it to be such a high profile coach, like a you know, but I guess it made sense. Yes, and that's that's a weird season. Well, because- he was, you know, you know what, Rich? The one thing he was. He was trying at that time to get a lot of his old Washington Redskin players, and he was wanting to trade players like myself, young players, uh, uh, second-year players. To uh, he was wanting to trade them for his old older players that he had at Washington, mm. and. Uh, it was definitely against everything that the Rams had uh, had built the team on and felt that they had going. And it got to the point where it was just a push and shove on. He wanted to trade X player from the Rams for the old player that he had at the, uh, the Washington Redskins. And basically the upper management just says, no, these are great players. And uh, uh, there was quite the friction there that he had. Interesting. Yeah, it's just ama- it's an amazing story. If you know, you kind of dig into it. It's fascinating listening to you and hearing about it. Um, yeah. And the team, and and that year, you guys are good. You're twelve and four. You win the division again. Um, you you go to the playoffs. You you beat the Vikings. You break through on some level, um, but then you lose to Dallas. And I am curious also. Yeah. Obviously, Dallas is led by on at running back is Tony Dorsett. You had played to him and lost to him in a bowl game in college, and uh, in during the season you beat them pretty easily. But then they beat you in the playoffs. What was Dorsett like as a you know as a safety man looking across the uh, across the line? Oh, you know, he Tony was 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 a great athlete. You know, could catch the ball coming out of the backfield. Uh, you know, if he if he got any open area at all, you know, open open lane, he he was so fast that uh, uh, he was he was an exciting player, and uh, it's just something that that we knew we had to to shut him down and uh, basically take care of the the, the passing game. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then and then the next year is just another really interesting, you know, kind of off season for you guys. First of all, you move from the LA Coliseum to Anaheim, which, you know, on the one hand, you know, not that big a deal. It's a couple of miles away, but is that, is that like a big deal for the players? I mean, here's the Coliseum. It's like old, but it's also iconic. 
you know, were players excited to move or were they upset about moving? Well, I, I, uh, I don't think they were, uh, we were upset. And uh, from the standpoint that uh, we, we wanted just to, you know, it didn't matter where we played, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we ended up, uh, I think we ended up having a, a new uh, workout facility. They had just rebuilt the facility. But when I first went to the, to the, uh, to the Rams and we were playing in the Coliseum, uh, we practiced in the outfield of of uh, baseball diamond. That was our our, our uh, practice facility. Wow. We and our locker room was underneath the grandstands. Jeez. So, and it was it, it was in Long Beach, Blair Blair Field in Long Beach. That's that's where we practiced, and it wasn't you know it didn't matter where where we played or whatever we just had great players that wanted to play and and they just uh uh they they gelled it didn't matter you know that our locker room was uh was in underneath the grandstands of a a baseball field uh uh we didn't we didn't even have a weight room at that time that's amazing there was they had a they had a universal gym and one power rack, one power rack that the, you could do squats in, and that was it. If you were, well, if you lifted weights and did stuff like that, a lot of times you did that on your own. <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, I mean, but and you look at today's, everybody has got the great workout facilities. They got, uh, I mean, it's just unbelievable what the uh, uh, they have for the players and stuff and. Uh, uh, I mean, I remember uh, my rookie year, you, you'd come in and, and uh, they had a sign-up sheet that whatever you wanted for lunch and you had to give them, give them your money and uh, uh, to get, go get a hamburger or have a hamburger brought in for you, uh, you signed up on a sheet. And so it was, uh, it, it was a lot different, but uh, the togetherness that that, uh, our, that team uh, that I, I joined, uh, was outstanding. Yeah. And, and, and also that off season, your owner dies, Carol Rosenblum drowns off of the coast of Florida <clears throat> and his wife, yeah. Georgia takes over. Um, uh, how, how does that impact a team? I mean, some teams, the owner is very involved. Sometimes you never see the owner. How big a deal was that for you guys? I was, I was a young player. I, I remember, uh, meeting Carol Rosenblum and, and, but I, you know, I wasn't one of the guys that, uh, you know, knew how, how well knew him well enough, but, uh, you know, he was down to practice every Thursday. He'd come down, he'd have a Brown paper sack with a, with a sandwich in it. And he would sit on the sideline and watch the team practice. And, uh, that was, that was it. I okay. mean, that was, you know, heard anything about him getting involved with anybody uh he he ran it strictly through don klosterman and kind of followed the the ranks and and uh but uh he was he was a he was a great owner and and uh uh you know i think he told a lot of the veteran players uh you know he helped them with investments that uh uh was probably the best thing that ever happened to a lot of the, the older players that uh, played underneath him. 
Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, and then, and that year, so that year is your first year as like a full-time starter. And, and obviously a couple yeah. things, first of all, you guys go to the Super Bowl, you beat Dallas on kind of a dramatic finish in the last couple of minutes, Billy Waddy scores on like a 50 yard bomb. Um, you also have a really interesting moment. You guys are playing the Vikings. You're in overtime lining up for a field goal and it's a fake and you run it in, which was, you did that a number of times in your career. Um, you know, kind of going back to your old days as a QB, uh, you know, a, a wishbone quarterback almost. Um, tell me about that. Well, it was a, it was a situation that they, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, they ended up lining both of their outside linebackers, who was Matt Blair and I believe Freeman uh, was the two linebackers. And what what uh, they did, they took and on the snap they would take a couple steps and jump and dive over the top of the the line of script hmm. the line and they would they were blocking a lot of kicks at that time yeah and uh, so when they so when they ended up uh, lining up in that particular situation Jack Youngblood was actually the wing on our our uh, our team uh, on the field goal team and uh, you know, he, he basically uh, uh, audibled to mm. the, when they lined up in that particular uh, formation and how they, they were doing it. They, uh, you know, Jack Youngblood, he, he, he would audible, and uh, he said something that everybody heard, and, and uh, uh, he, made the, he made the call, and, and uh, we ran the fake uh, – because they, they just committed everybody inside and it was very easy for us to actually hook the guys on the outside and uh, run it in. Interesting. That's, that's fascinating. It's Jackie Youngblood with the audible. I mean, <laughs> oh, that yeah. is cool. You know, um, but, that, but, you know, that's the type of things that, uh, that the team did. You know, they, they had the flexibility uh, to to commit to something if you saw a weakness or you saw something you could take advantage of if they give it to you it was coached well enough that you said boom it just it would just be a, a quick audible bang bang and done deal so, yeah uh, we would take the chance for it that's great uh, yeah that's a big chance in overtime that's impressive um, and that postseason, like I mentioned the the Billy Waddy bomb that's got to be one of the greater moments in, in you know Ram playoff history and then beating Tampa Bay uh, nine nothing, and then getting to the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Tell me a little bit about that postseason, like your memories of it, especially the Waddy touchdown. Well, I tell you what, it it was uh, uh, great concentration for Billy Waddy because that ball, I believe, was tipped. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of it was a crossing, a deep crossing route that Vince uh, when he, he threw it, uh, and I think it was tipped just prior to Billy catching it. But when he caught it, he was on a dead run and uh, boom, it, it was, uh, uh, he had, he had clean running room all the way, all the way to the end zone. So, and it was such a, a, uh, a rewarding kind of getting the monkey off the back of, of everybody from the standpoint to beat the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs who that the Dallas Cowboys had beaten the Rams a lot in the, you know, so it was it was huge for us to get that and uh, uh, that make that play and and go to the next level. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then turn around and go down to Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay was having a, a tremendous season, the great defense and everything uh, that we went down there, and we actually, I think, won it nine to nothing and uh, kicked three field goals. So, it, uh, you know, but the, the defense – was notorious for that. Hey, if we got to win it, we'll shut them out. So right. it was, it was. Yeah. And even really against the Steelers, I mean, the next week you got, they were the prohibitive favorites, but you, it, you, that was a close game, you know, into the fourth quarter and they, you know, they got a couple late and, you know, kind of put it away. And that obviously the, they, you know, team of the seventies. Well, they, they ended up, they ended up throwing the ball, uh, uh, deep and which which we thought and we ended we ended up in that that particular uh, on a couple of those long passes uh, I ended up trying to jump up for the one that when Swan caught I thought I ha- I had the play made uh, where I was able to tip the ball away and uh, I I just did I touched the ball but uh, Lynn ended up uh, catching it. And uh, and then the uh, the long pass to John Stallworth, uh, there was miscommunication. There should have been a safety right in the middle of the field, uh, right where the, the the throw was, and uh, there was miscommunication on who was supposed to go back there, and uh, uh, we, hit, we we missed that. So uh, two two plays in that uh, in that uh, uh, game, and uh, was the difference. Yeah. It's amazing the margin, razor thin. Yes, yes uh, it is. And then, and then, and and it's and it's interesting too. And we we've touched on it a few times now. You know that how stocked the team was with talent. You know, kind of across the board. But the defensive backfield is crazy. You mentioned you know early on it was Elmendorf and Simpson and you as safeties, Perry and Thomas and Jackson. And then, you know, kind of through the draft over the years, you know, Leroy Irvin comes in from Kansas, actually. And he is a guy who yeah. becomes, you know, a four or five time pro bowler. And Johnny Johnson comes in from Texas and he is, you know, a, you know, goes to pro bowls. Like every guy you guys had would kind of turn in a couple pro bowl years. Like just the consistency, you know, in the backfield was just amazing for you guys over the years. We, uh, we had good good athletes, but I think a lot of it was was the system that that we played in, uh, and the defensive line up front that we played with. Uh, or, uh, you know, when when you can put pressure on on a quarterback and uh, with just rushing four guys and co- it's constant pressure, they the quarterback's got to get the ball out on time when they set and hold it and hold it and able to scramble around and, and it's, it's hard for a defensive back to keep, uh, keep coverage that long. So, you know, I, you know, there's a credit to our whole defense, our whole team that, uh, that uh, everybody contributed on, on things like that, but we did have good athletes back there. I think uh, our scouting department uh, did a great job of, of uh, having, the ability to scout players and see them playing at the next level and being able to do it. Yeah. And actually I have to ask something this came up in my interview, Jack Youngblood about a year ago. And we were talking, he was saying that like, I think it's on Saturday nights, you know, the night before the game. And, and I might have my, my facts wrong a little bit, but you guys would like have dinner at the Beverly Hilton 
And, you know, Carol Rosenblum would be bringing through stars, you know, I don't know if it was Frank Sinatra or whomever, like, you, you know, kind of turn around, you'd be getting a sandwich and you turn around and there'd be like another movie star or something. Do, do you remember, you know, kind of it that way? My rookie year, of course, the Beverly Hills Hilton. I'm, I'm on, it is, it is like a, like a, uh, uh, unbelievable movie stars that come through our, our, uh, uh, evening, Saturday evening snack. After our meetings, we'd go in there and, and the next thing you know, Jonathan Winters would be coming through and all of a sudden he's up there putting on a show. I mean, he's, he's telling, telling jokes and, and, uh, and it is crazy the things that uh, went on with that team but and uh, Fred Dreyer being Mr. Hollywood himself I mean he would be right up there talking with him and and you know where other teams I think might have thought that was a distraction uh it wasn't it was it was you know we're we're in Hollywood and you know the Beverly Hills Hilton and we got people coming in out there and uh, it was, I mean, everybody loved it. it yeah. And it, it was just part of the, it was part of the routine. If, if nobody showed up there, I think everybody would be, hey, what's going on? We got to have somebody, you know, some Hollywood star come walking through here. So, <laughs> but it was, that was exciting. And I, and I as, as a rookie, and I didn't say a thing. I'm sitting there in just awe of what's going on. I'm watching these people walk through, and they go through, they're going through the line just like we did, you know, getting something to eat and, and uh, sitting down at tables, and people are up and talking with them. And, I mean, it was, it was crazy, but it never deterred from the focus of, of the job we had to do for the next, the next day. Sure. It's just I mean, you got to be sitting there thinking to yourself, this is not Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, 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 it's not Kansas, that's for sure. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, and then the next year, so here you guys, you know, you're obviously you're in the Super Bowl in 79. 80 is another year where you're, you know, another playoff team. And then the next year, Vince bolts for Canada. And it looks like it's going to be Pat Hayden and also Dan Pastorini has come in uh, from well, I guess he he had been in Houston, obviously for a decade. He'd come in from Oakland. Um, was how disappointing was that when when Ferragamo left? Like, how did that play with the team? Well, I think I think they, they we thought we had a a quarterback that uh, uh, that we could play with and and uh, that had the ability to to uh, you know find the open receivers and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, you know when he bolted. Uh, you know, we it it always seems like we're searching for that that one guy, that right. uh, one guy that that uh, could 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 come in and solve the problems. But uh, but you know, it it's not one guy ever. It's it's a team. Everybody playing together, uh, and and given given the tools. Uh, to make adjustments on the field and to make things uh, uh, correct things when uh, when we uh, are are not functioning right. Uh, those those are the things that that we we were constantly searching for in those latter years when we weren't playing as well uh, as we had. 
Yeah. And that, that 81 season, something else is happening uh, a little further up the coast. Uh, Joe Montana's in his third year, but he's really in his first year as a starter and beats you guys twice. Um, and, yep. and, you know, people knew him from his Notre Dame years, but then he, you know, kind of been on the bench behind Steve DeBerg for a while as a safety, you're looking across the line and, you know, here's Joe Montana. What were your thoughts, you know, that first season you were really playing against him? Well, I, you know, heck, I, I thought, you know, it was going to be uh, another one of the San Francisco teams. We'd go up there and we'd, we'd, uh, use, we'd beat them usually twice every, every year. And, and, sure. uh, but we went up there, it, it was a different team. Bill Walsh had come in there and had, uh, had gotten rid of some players, had added players, but the system that, that Bill had, uh, fit their talent, and uh, I think uh, Bill was there for a couple years uh, prior prior to that, and was building the team up and getting players that fit his system. And once he got those those players, and uh, and and really Joe ran the whole thing, and he he took control of it, and uh, there were on every play that uh, they ran, you know, he had options. He kind of, he knew where he was going to throw the ball even before uh, we ended up uh, snapping the ball. You know, he, he was really, really good at that. And then, and then the next year is, is kind of an odd year, right? It's, it's a strike year. It's the first time it's like really hit the regular season and you guys have, it's a bad year, right? You guys are two and seven. Burt Jones is yeah. brought in, again, back to this recurring theme of like trying to find that one guy. Burt Jones is brought in. Ferragamo has come back from Canada. So it's like the prodigal son returning, but didn't matter. The team was losing. Jones gets hurt after a couple of games anyway, and basically ends his career. Um, and that's it from Alavesi. And John Robinson from down the road at USC is brought in. Um, first of all, what, what was it like having Burt Jones around, even though it was obviously for a very short period of time? And then tell me about the transition to John Robinson. Well, uh, Burt was uh, a great guy, a great guy. But at that time, you know, we were not functioning as a team. Mm. You know, we, and not, not say any, anything for, about it anybody or anything it just we weren't playing together we we were kind of going in in a little bit different directions type of thing and and uh, we didn't have the focus that when I look back at my first first two or three years in in uh, in the league I mean it was focused everybody's playing for them uh, for each other and it wasn't all of a sudden I got to get my catches or I've got to have my runs or I've got to make my tackles or interceptions or whatever the deal was. We weren't playing together. And uh, there was a, uh, there was that era that about the team. So uh, when, when uh, we ended up uh, uh, making the, the change to, to John Robinson, you know, John went out and I, and, and got Eric Dickerson, as as uh as the running back <clears throat> and uh he was very active in the draft john was and then ended up uh 
uh, hiring Fritz Shermer as his defensive coordinator, and everything at that point, I mean, it becomes very simple. I mean, we, we played three deep zone uh, or, uh, or man-free zone just about 95% of the time. Hmm. Where in in like 80, 80, 81, 82, and that was like uh, Bud Carson was the defensive coordinator, and we blitzed probably 75 to 80% of the time. Okay. And uh, we were playing pressure, and it was man-to-man coverage. And it, uh, I mean, we we got after people. So that's, that was one the big change, but John brought everybody together. John, uh, uh, and we played simple defense, but we played hard. We played fast. We played some, uh, and it was, it, it was unbelievable how everything was just tight. And, uh, and uh, then all, and then we had Eric Dickerson as our running back and John had gotten, I believe we picked up, uh, uh, I want to say Bill Bain was we signed Bill in that time frame, so we bo- we were boosting our offensive line for for the running game, and uh, and it it helped us a lot because uh, Eric was was an extremely gifted athlete, and and the the running game that John brought in from USC, and and uh, uh, it was actually uh, superb. Yeah. Yeah. That, that 83 season, I mean, the, the, obviously that had been the year of the, you know, the big quarterback draft and all that, but you know, here's Dickerson and also up the road, Kurt Warner in Seattle, but so you've got Dickerson and I'm curious about two rookies that year. I'm curious your take on, I mean, obviously Dickerson was awesome runs for 1800 yards his first year, but what's it like as a safety watching him every day in practice? I mean, he's just such a unique looking running back, just his style and his size and everything. And then also, about middle of that season, you guys play uh, a young Dan Marino who had been on the bench for the first four or five games and comes in. And I think you face him in like in his third start or something like that. Curious your take on, you know, seeing Dickerson every day and what he was like to, you know, to tackle among other things. And then also Marino and playing against him early on. Well, Eric, uh, when first day in practice, when you watched him run, and I mean, he had speed, the ability to cut, everything. He was he was a big guy, you yeah. know, for for a running at that time. I think he was like uh, six two, six three, two twenty eight. I think is what he was. But boy, he ran. His speed was unbelievable, yeah. and you just sat there in awe in practice. But you know, of course, we never hit Eric in practice. Hmm. I mean, he comes through the line of scrimmage. You you put your hands on him like two hand touch. Don't don't beat the the horse up now. <laughs> but, uh, it was it was uh, uh, good, but it <clears throat> Eric was was unbelievable, and the, our offensive line was really unbelievable at that time too. Uh, and the new the the running game that they put in really give Eric a chance to look at the defense, how, how the defense is flowing. And if he saw a crack anywhere, he could take it. So mm-hmm. really we had, I don't think we had a lot of running plays, but 
every one of the running plays could hit at a different hole all the time. Okay. I mean, Eric would start get the pitch and he'd he'd flow and then he'd make he'd put that foot in the ground and take off and uh, it was just like the zone running game that a lot of teams are using now. The offensive line just comes off on a track and they run and is and wherever the the hole opens, it could be out bounce it outside, hit the hit the the off tackle hole, or he could cut it all the way back behind the center. Hmm. And it, I mean, uh, the vision that Eric had and the scheme just was. Fantastic, and we had a, a great offensive line at that time too. So it uh, it was very good, uh, yeah. and uh, you know you knew right from the get go when Eric uh, uh, his running speed, the physical that he brought. But when he ran, he ran so vertical, and you were thinking, "Good golly, he's going to get killed when he runs through the line of scrimmage." But he had the ability at the last minute, he would drop his shoulder and hit people, and he would run right over them. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm really impressed. You go back and watch video, man. So, his knees are so high. It's like you're just thinking as a safety coming up, those knees are going to be in your face. <laughs> and they were. They were yeah. a lot of people. So, <laughs> but, uh, and then, and then, uh, uh, Dan Marino, Dan Marino, uh, at the time, if I, if I remember the game correctly, uh, that we played him, uh, he, he was so smooth and he understood, uh, what the game plan was when we played him because we were blitzing people at, uh, a lot of the time. And, uh, and the one I remember just thinking about Dan Marino, he ended up, uh, they would let the the play clock run all the way down to like two or three. And if we made an audible adjustment or we were going to try to disguise coverage, we would actually just uh, come out of our, our disguise into the coverage at the last minute. And Dan was waiting for the ball or waiting to snap the ball until the last minute on that game. And uh, uh, he had a, he had a great feel for, what we were doing and where we where the ball was was going to happen, uh, it was it was very clear. Yeah, oh, I mean, how amazing a guy like in his third or fourth career start. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah, um, but you and, know, and, great great job by the, by the their coaches is of letting the clock run down to one or two seconds before they snapped it, because we would typically get a little nervous and have to get out because. A lot of our defense at that time, we'd be we'd be close to the line of scrimmage. All eleven guys within five or six yards of the line of scrimmage, trying to disguise things, and then we would bail out into a, a deep uh, a deep zone, or uh, it would be a blitz. Right. Mm. And in in the '85 season, getting towards the end of your career, you guys get in the playoffs. You 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 know can beat Dallas pretty easily. You shut them out. Then you play the Bears, and this is obviously the 85 Bears, you know, arguably best defense ever. You played on some really good defenses over the entirety of your career. When you looked across at that 85 Bears defense, did you just say, this is just different level? Or I'm curious what your take was. Uh, it was, it was, uh, I, 
you know, when I when you look at it, you think <clears throat> maybe that's how the the other teams looked at the Rams in the Chuck Knox era. Sure. From the standpoint of this is the best team in the NFL defensively, and you know how do we how do we run? How do we pass? How do we do it? Uh, you know, operate against it. Uh, that's kind of when you look at look at the look at the Bears at that time. They were so loaded with with talent and Buddy Ryan's defense. He had he had you know it was an attacking style of defense, and the people he had in every position, corner, the secondary, the linebackers, and the defensive line. You, I mean, they were all you could make him all Pro Bowl players. Yeah. Every one of them. You know, so, so it was, we knew it was going to be a challenge. So we, you know, we definitely knew we had, had our work cut out for us defensively trying to, trying to stop them. And, uh, uh, but then, you know, they were able, and with Jim McMahon at the quarterback position, you know, he, you know, he was going to make some plays. He was going to make some plays and, and they had chance to take uh, some, uh, some chances offensively when you have a great defense like that, you could, you, you know, cause you knew that the defense was going to keep it a low scoring game, number one and number two, or shut you out type of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the crazy thing about that defense is as good as they were, two of their starters sat the season out, <laughs> Todd Bell and Al Harris. I mean, Jesus, you, know, you think about that for a second. That team, like I said, you know, said that team was loaded defensively, uh, and uh, uh, gosh, you know, when you have two of your mainstay starters set out the whole season because of contract, and they just stuck another player in there. I think uh, Dave Durison, I believe, replaced uh, gosh the 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 other safety. Oh, guys. Todd Bell. Yes, Todd Bell. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he replaced him, and uh, Durson being a being a rookie, they never missed a lick. Yeah. I mean, that was just unbelievable that they have that. And then you got the defensive line where you're always looking for another defensive lineman, and they just plug somebody else in there, and off they go. So unbelievable. It was crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And I'm curious, two things towards the end of your career, your last two years, um, your your second to last year, uh, again, uh, playoff team, uh, you guys go 10 and 6, you lose to Washington, you draft in the 12th round Marcus Dupree, and I remember him, you know, having that crazy freshman year at Oklahoma, and then he sits out and it was, you know, kind of a lot of drama, obviously a 30 for 30 on ESPN, but you guys draft him. And I'm just kind of curious. Do you, you know, do you rec- recall him being in camp? Did, did you, did he make an impression? Uh, you know what? I, I, uh, I remember us drafting Marcus, but I, I want to say, was he coming off of an injury? I, he might I, be. I don't. I think he was coming off of an injury. A knee injury is what I think. And, uh, uh, but. And I think we took a chance on drafting him and uh, thinking that that it would get better or or uh, for, be for the future, and uh, it just 
I don't uh, I don't re- recall that much about uh, Marcus because I don't think I've seen him play a lot in right. in practice. So uh, I th- I'm, I'm 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 blank on that. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I it was just curious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the sh- the documentary was the best there never was, or something like that. It was, um, and and it was obviously they took a flyer. They took him in the twelfth round. Um, and then the other one was your last year, obviously, again, a strike year, two things happen early in the season, Dickerson is traded and, but also Charles white, who sadly has recently passed away Heisman trophy winner at USC under Robinson comes out of nowhere and, and rushes for almost 1400 yards in a shortened season. I'm just kind of curious yeah. what, was that like, obviously this is the end of your career, but, you know, trading Dickerson, the, you know, the, the star, you know, of the offense, but also seeing Charles White have this one like moonshot season. I'm curious, you know, kind of what you were looking at from across the line. Well, I think uh, when, when you look at, uh, at Eric and, and uh, them having their, their problems with contract and they finally ended up trading him to get uh, and, and move on and then bringing in, Charles White, uh, I believe he was at Cleveland at the at the time or prior to that, and yep. and we we brought we brought him in, and but I think it's it's that speaks when he re- rushes for thirteen fourteen hundred yards, and that that speaks for our offensive line. Mm-hmm. That's what Eric Dickerson left. He left an offensive line that was built for him and we take Charles White who was not successful in a, other systems and put him in our system and he rushes for like you said 13 1400 yards on all, all of a sudden wow how good is our offensive line yeah. that that's what for me came out of it we were really good yeah yeah and that and that season I'm always kind of curious I mean 87 is your last year it's a strike year um no playoffs do you did you kind of know as that season was going on this is it or was it one of those things that you found out after the fact they let you know that this is it how how did that play out i i uh i ended up uh coming uh in in after the season we talked uh and everything uh as far as with man uh with uh the coaches and then boom went for the off season and then when I uh, I came back for our mini camp in the beginning of the year, uh, at, in the in the off season, uh, John uh, called me in, and uh, uh, and with our our defensive back coach, uh, and said that uh, uh, we'd like to have you come to camp, but there's no way you're not going to be considered a starter, hmm. and. Uh, so, you know, it was right before camp. So I went to camp and, uh, and thought uh, to myself, you know, uh, you know, this isn't what I, how I want to go out. This isn't what I want to do. So I, I, I ended up uh, basically going to John uh, halfway through training camp and uh, basically just said, Hey, uh, I think you, I just, uh, uh probably you told me I'm not going to be uh, considered as a starter, no matter how well I play. And I, I wasn't getting hardly any reps. So I, I just uh, decided to go ahead and, and, uh, and 
leave the team and uh, uh, I, I decided I, I kind of went and, and thought maybe uh, try to go to someplace else but then uh, after after I left it I just said you know what it's over it's over and and uh, for, for me I played 11 years and uh, uh, I'm I'm going to move move on with my life, and I had a couple things going on that that I could get involved in and go from there. Sure, and and then as I alluded to in the intro, um, you go into a twenty plus year career in coaching, and and two things stand out to me. One is you hook up fairly early on with Mike Holmgren. He goes to Green Bay in '92, takes over as head coach, and you come in as special teams coordinator. As far as I could tell, you guys had yeah. never really overlapped before, and you obviously got you guys hit it off because you worked for him for six or seven years there. Then you follow him to Seattle, where you work with him for another you know kind of ten years, and then later in your career you go to Cleveland, where he is. So I'm curious what what the kind of the connection was with Holmgren, and then and then I have to ask you one thing about your career in in coaching. But but how, how did it come to be that you were Holmgren? Uh. I I went back in in uh, the '91 season. John Robinson uh, uh, changed defensive staffs, and I went in and uh, and got to be the defensive assistant mm-hmm. with uh, uh, when Jeff Fisher came in as the defensive coordinator. And okay. I was with uh, with uh, the Rams there and as a defensive assistant, and I helped on specialty teams. I helped Gil Haskell, who was the special teams coordinator. And I ended, ended up uh, enjoying the special teams part of it. And I ended up uh, – and Gil Haskell is uh, responsible for, for me uh, hooking up with uh, uh, Coach Holmgren from the standpoint of uh, uh, they were good friends in, uh, in high school, college. They knew each other and had always stayed in touch. And uh, Gil recommended me as a, as the special teams uh, coordinator to go uh, to Green Bay, and mm. uh, so Mike took his recommendation, and uh, I was I was hired on. Uh, and Mike actually told me he says I want I want the special teams that you had at the Rams, and I said okay, no problem. So right. I that's kind of what I was familiar with, and got in. and And I'll be very honest with you, I was a terrible coach my first year <laughs> it <laughs> you know it takes it takes time to go from a player to to coaching and and uh, I ended I ended up learning a lot my first year I I learned how to communicate things in fewer words mm. I mean you gotta when when you're limited on your time and and everything uh, uh, in meetings it's Bang, bang, bang! You got to hit the powerpoints and then be ready to go. And I remember Gil uh, Haskell, who helped me get the job, and and uh, and uh, remember sitting in a meeting with with Mike Holmgren and, and myself and 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 Gil. And uh, the thing was, Gil said, "Just keep it simple. Mm. Keep it simple. Don't make it any more than it is. Do your do things." consistently be on top of it. And uh, that's what I come out of my first season with is I've got to, I've got to be able to communicate things quicker, more precise, 
and be on top of things and keep it simple. We ended up going from one of the one of the uh, middle of the pack to lower end of the pack uh, special teams units my first year to in the top shoot. We were always in in the top ten, if not top five. After after that, and uh, uh, but I was uh, very uh, happy from the standpoint of of uh, uh, Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren both in, agreed on improving the roster all the time. We would bring players in my first three or four years as special teams coach. We were bringing players in every Tuesday, and if we worked a player out that we thought was better than that, another player that was on the roster, they'd make the change. Hmm. And they were, it was a re, kind of a revolving door of, of players and when we were upgrading our team, that made my specialty teams that much better because we're upgrading my personnel. I was not uh, – Mike had expressed to me that he says, we don't play starters on specialty teams, so you got to your, – your pool of players is the backups. And, right. when, you know, so as we go through there, it got to be uh, – I could count on it, uh, uh, having actually some pretty good players because we were going to keep it, uh, the roster, keep upgrading the roster. And it got to where those players knew that they were not going to be starters, but the way they could contribute to the team was through special teams and that's when we started making huge, huge steps and, and contributed a lot to uh, the team's success. Yeah. I mean, early on, be, before they became starters, you had guys like Robert Brooks and, and Terrell Buckley, and then they moved on to starters. And then, and then the, the season I alluded to, just you know, kind of digging around a little bit, I think it's happened twice in the Super Bowl era where a team has had the top-rated offense, the top-rated defense, and the number one, the number one special teams unit. The 72 Dolphins, undefeated, and the 96 Packers, number one O, number one D, number one special teams. And and some of the things you guys did that year, so you bring in Desmond Howard and you bring in Don yeah. Beebe. You know, Beebe had been with Buffalo and, and, you know, kind of famously tracked down Leon Lett, uh, uh, you know, in that Super Bowl, yeah. you know, with forced to fumble. Yeah, so you know, he's a hustle yeah, he knows he's a hustle guy. You know, Desmond Howard yeah. obviously has one of the mo most exciting college, and I hate Michigan, but has one of the most exciting college seasons that guys ever had when he wins the Heisman. You have these guys. BB returns a, a kickoff for a touchdown during the season. Desmond Howard returns like a, a bunch of punts for touchdowns during the regular season. I think you guys set an NFL right. record for punt return yardage in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Howard returns one against San Francisco for a touchdown and has another really long one. And then, Oh, by the way, in the yeah. Super Bowl, we all know he, uh, you know, has the 99 yard touchdown and has another really long one and is to this day, the only uh, MVP in a Super Bowl uh, to have come from the special teams. The other thing that's staggering right. is there's 16 weeks in a season, five times that year, the player, the special teams player of the week in the NFL is a Packer. I mean, that, that has got to be one of the best special teams assistant coaching jobs ever done. Well, I think I think it speaks for our personnel. Yeah. But the thing that, 
that really radiates when I look back on that and is we ran one punt return for the whole season. It was return. We never, we never changed it. We ran, we ran our, our our kickoff returns were, uh, was, was return right or return left. That, that was it. I mean, we were so simple and uh, I would, I would ask Mike Holmgren, I'd say, Mike, can we rush this? I think we can block a punt. And Mike would look at me and says, no, he said, just get me the ball. Get me the ball back. Mm. And, uh, I mean, the players would just be begging me, Nolan, they're, not e- they're just running out of there. They're not even blocking us. And, and uh, he says, let's just let me go block one. And I'd look at him and I'd go, <laughs> I said, you just just run the return. Yeah. And but the thing that that really uh, kind of boasted our special teams was Desmond Howard, hmm. and he stood up after one game. He he is early in in the season. He he stood he stood up in there, and it was we were so close on breaking things. But there would be somebody miss a block, or some some guy would wouldn't have his guy, and he stood up in the in our in our meeting room, and he goes, "Guys, listen." He says, "You get your guy." He says, "I'll make the rest of them miss." Hmm. And everybody in that in, in that room goes, "Oh, all right." I mean, from that point on, it was it was long returns, uh, and I mean, everybody got his guy. And Desmond would come; he'd come to the sideline. And he goes, "Nolan, who was supposed to have number fifty on special teams?" And uh, I would say, you know, as an example, Bernardo Harris was supposed to have number fifty, and Desmond would run over there, and he'd go. Bernardo, just get him. It's going to be there. We're going to score. And I mean, uh, the the pride that those guys, that are that our special teams players, our backup players, took in their jobs and how they uh, and how we practiced. We we basically practiced at half to three quarter speed because it was just get your guy. Right. Focus in on your guy, and I mean it. It was from that point on, we we knew that people were going to punt away from us, and if a team had seven punts during the game, we would only have an opportunity probably to return two, okay. and that's what I told the guy. Got to you got to get it because you know two or three of those punts are going to be down it type of punts where they're trying to kick it inside the inside the 20 yard line okay the oh and then uh they're going to try to kick it away from our returner and sideline and then but there's going to be a couple punts in every game that ended up being uh where they're backed up and the punter is going to just he's going to rock it try to rock it one and get a lot you know get some field position 
And he said, that's when we got to be focused in because we will, we'll run it back. And that's how everybody believed from, from the guy that was returning the ball to the guys that were blocking. Hey, I get my guy. We'll return for a touchdown. And we had like five or six touchdowns that year in our, our, uh, uh, punt and kickoff return. And it was, uh, it was an exciting year. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, amazing. You know, kind of like, you know, digging around and looking at some of the videos, really just awesome. Well, Nolan Cromwell, I have to tell you, I've, I've taken up a ton of your time. Um, this has been awesome talking about, you know, kind of growing up in Kansas and, and, you know, being a multi-sport athlete, obviously your days at KU, again, being a multi-sport athlete and a multi-position football player, and then, you know, great career with the Rams and, uh, and some really intriguing years as a coach. It's been a real pleasure having you come on Chasing Hardware. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. It feels like life. Life is like Life is like what it is.